Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Moving Into the Future. Today, we are joined by Paul Maas, Fred Buscalia, and Mark Benhar, and we are going to have a discussion regarding the supply chain and labor issues that have affected the tenant build-out process since the pandemic began. Paul and Fred both work at Jones Lang LaSalle, where Paul focuses on tenant representation during the office leasing process, and Fred specializes in project management during office build-outs. Mark is the president of Ben Howe Office Furnishings, where he works with clients to provide office furniture and other fixtures. So this should be a really interesting conversation as we're all involved at different levels of the process. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, Thank this, you. Nice seeing you. This is a first in the uh, history of the podcast, too. Mm-hmm. We've never had uh, more than one person on, so it, it should be interesting, and I'm, and I'm really excited about it. Um, Paul, I'm going to start with you since, since you're at the top of this process, you know, during the office leasing process. Um, in the past, it would be common for, for people like myself and Fred and Mark to come to you for information, but, but since the start of the pandemic... You know, you've really been coming to us to kind of get ahead of these, these supply chain issues and prepare, prepare tenants. Um, how have you helped clients mitigate risk from the start of the fit-out process? Well, um, thanks, Jack. I mean, the first thing is we learned that we needed to come to people like yourself and Mark. Uh, one of my colleagues, Lloyd DeSatnick, we were in the office. Again, one of the advantages of being in the office. And he got off the phone with an owner he represented, and a deal was in jeopardy because the tenant realized their furniture was going to be very late. Um, and we all started looking at each other and calling around, and Mark came in to speak to a group of us and really, you know, gave us the explanation of what's going on. Ordinarily, pre-COVID, when everything was normal, um, we never got involved with that. You know, it was very predictable. Um, same thing on the construction side for materials and what have you and labor, which Fred will speak about. Um, but, you know, in order to advise a client, especially during wartime, yeah. you know, when it's all chaotic, we, we had to get out of our comfort zone and get into a lot more detail up front to inform the tenant about the schedule. Right. And as far as, you know, that schedule and Fred, this is where, you know, you really come in because you are the one creating that schedule and and again, giving those reasonable expectations. And we we had kind of talked about this before and had this conversation, you know, when you created that schedule at the beginning, that was a dictated schedule from the first week till the, you know, whatever, 24th week. And now with the pandemic, when there's delays and stops, you know, stops, stoppages and, and things of that nature, how did you start to kind of reanalyze what you were doing and, and come up with new processes to uh, make sure that you're staying on budget, you know, but also getting the job done within a reasonable time? Yeah. So, you know, we always predicated all these projects on, you know, budget and schedule. And for the most part, we were reactive, to, right, to what the industry was showing us. So we knew design would take X number of weeks. We knew that uh, bid and award would take X number of weeks and then construction would take X number of weeks. And even during the pandemic, the early parts of the pandemic, we were still reacting to what the market was telling us, whether it was extending, whether there were certain procurement issues, supply chain issues, labor issues, government shutdowns, we were reactive. And over the course of that first four or five months, we then started to develop a system and a process to be proactive in the face of the pandemic, to deliver 
space in a, in a, a more consistent manner without the uncertainties that were developing during the course uh, of the early part of the pandemic. And that's where we started to engage Paul and Mark, right, earlier. So the more we were aligned, typically we would get through design, halfway through design, we'd start talking to furniture. They'd get through the, the lease signing and Paul would kind of, you know, then turn it over to the PM side of the business. And in reality, that was hindering us during the pandemic. What worked better is when we stayed together, understood the process early on, early engagement of all the different parties involved in the process, and that helped us mitigate some of the issues that developed during the pandemic. Right. And that, that is part of the key. You know, communication became such an important function for all of our jobs. And like from a consultative measure, you know, we all have our specialties in what we do. But from a client standpoint, it really took a team effort to start communicating at a, at a very early time, you know, during that build out process, which again, is why you started coming to us earlier and things of that nature. And, and, you know, Mark, I think that's one of the things we heard really often from people in furniture, you know, they never liked getting involved in that process when they did to begin with and always wanted to get in the front end. And this pandemic really kind of allowed for that is to get them in the, in the door earlier. So Mark, you know, from your standpoint, from that consultative uh, standpoint, how are you, how are you communicating with people like Fred and those project managers to, you know, again, set those reasonable expectations, but also, you know, find out what type of uh, contingencies were in line or, or, you know, could take place um, or, you know, who might be the, the better person to work with or manufacturer to work with or something like that. You know, how are you communicating those early in the process? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah this I, I agree with Fred on a lot of the things he just said. And uh, it, maybe this we had to wait till the pandemic for us to be uh, earlier on, something that we've been wanting and preaching for many years. But uh, in all seriousness, um, getting involved early has been a game changer for our clients and stakeholders <clears throat> so, um, where people can come together earlier and put their minds together for the success of the project. And I really feel that. I've, I've felt that for years, even before the pandemic. So maybe this will be a great new trend. Um, but certainly there's been a lot of challenges. Uh, Fred mentioned reactive. Yeah, I mean, I think for months we were all reactive I've been in this business 35 years. I've never, never seen these types of challenges. Um, and they're not gone. Uh, you know, they're still here. And I think they're going to be here for, you know, a while. I'm not sure what a while is, but the experts that I talk to certainly think until throughout the end of this year, early into next year. Um, but getting involved early has been better. So what I've been basically trying to talk to our clients, my teammates, stakeholders like Paul and Fred and yourself is, Get us involved earlier. Furniture is a long process. There's a lot of things. It's not even the manufacturing of the furniture. It's the beginning process. There's so many things that go into picking furniture. You would think it's simple. I always make a joke like, I don't have a warehouse in Brooklyn, and you can pick from white desks and black desks. I can have them to you tomorrow. There's a tremendous amount of specification and detail. If there's an architect involved, there's another layer as well, and that, that they're designing the space, they're going through showroom tours, they're picking furniture, there's a lot of choices, there's bidding. It becomes a very long process in the beginning before an order is even placed. So the challenge right now is that the lead times are so long, so prolonged, and the front end has is, is, is always traditionally been so long. How do you look at it by how do you condense it? And going back to that, I think bringing in the professionals earlier and bringing in our firm and our competitors and the manufacturers earlier um, is the, one of the, the best things I can do. I also tell people uh, now, please expect the unexpected. Mm -hmm. 
that that's a th- mantra throughout our firm right now. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, we could be as good, which we have a lot of risk mitigating um, efforts that we're going through right now, but unfortunately, we're getting bad news on a daily, weekly basis as much as we put the effort into it. So the message really to clients and stakeholders are, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to be transparent with you, but expect the unexpected. And, and unfortunately, that happens. And Mark, when, yeah. when you were, you know, when you started this 30 years ago, even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, everybody just went on the basis of lead times. Yeah. No one really bothered to understand what those lead times really meant. And it's been an education now for a lot of our clients and a lot of the people in the industry, just what Mark said. It isn't a six-week, eight-week lead time. It's now very being, being very calculated about what the amount of time it takes to get to the point where you place an order. And those are some of the things that people were struggling with. They didn't realize. And we see this not just in furniture, but in the entire procurement process now. Someone says, okay, this is going to get delivered in 12 weeks. And you look at your schedule and say, oh, 12 weeks is plenty. What they really mean and what you really need to ask is, what do you need to do to get to the 12-week lead time? Who confirmed that 12-week lead time? Sometimes that lead time isn't confirmed till you've been through an, uh, a several-week process, including shop drawings, approval, reiteration, re-cha- uh, redrawing some of the shop, shop drawings. And then finally, everyone says, oh, this is great. In some instances, now you got to get a PO which take, could take some clients several yeah, days certainly. to get a PO. That's delaying your order until that PO happens. If you need a deposit, it's delaying that deposit. So now where it was all done behind the scenes and we just explained people just that's the way it happened, we now have to explain those things to people so they can understand why this early engagement is so important. Right, and that's actually the, the, the question I had next, and, and, and we'll start with Paul on, on the answer, but then can lead down the line, is you said the specification process and, you know, at the time before the pandemic, you had just brought it up, you know, specification wasn't a really word that you think about or even how long it took or anything like that. But, you know, now because you're getting involved earlier, that specification process can be done more efficiently and then you can get stuff out done, you know, to process much easier. And what I wanted to ask both of you, but then also discuss with you from the from the landlord side and, you know, that part of the process is... <sighs> When specifying certain items, like let's say millworking compared to furniture, compared to like tenant improvement, uh, but on a landlord side, how are you communicating that? And, and, you know, are you going back to the table, Paul, on stuff, you know, because of, you know, certain specification lead times or certain tenant improvements um, that the landlord's agreeing to that, you know, may de- delay what, what, what Fred's doing and what Mark are doing? Um. You know, I, I, I learned a lot, a lot during this process um, and got involved with minutiae that I never had to before. And, and it wasn't just on furniture and, and construction, but it was also with the Department of Buildings and certificates of occupancy and, you know, doing construction. I, I have a client that is an essential business, and, and uh, we did a deal at the end of nineteen. Um, they did their construction all during the COVID period. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, we renegotiated part of the lease because of these unexpected delays that were really no one's fault, not the two parties. It was outside everyone's control. And fortunately, my tenants are a reasonable group, and they didn't order anything exotic. you know. And so uh, we could make the case after the fact. Um, 
that that's not a good way to start off a you know fifteen right. year relationship. Um, so we negotiated additional free rent uh, again after the fact, but it was spread out over the term, so yep. it wasn't up front. But it was also impacted by the fact that we were the first tenant in a newly renovated building. Oh yeah, um, and so the landlord had more space to rent. Um, I, I dare say if it were you know a top of the market you know newly constructed building that's being very competitive, I'm not sure a landlord would be so willing to to negotiate that. But um, I think working with the tenant up front to understand as fr- as um, Mark explained. Uh, in our meeting that a lot of times something gets specified, but it could be delayed. And he comes up with substitutes and things like that, which is really great advice, which is what the clients need at the front end in order to smooth the process. Right. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all looking for is mm-hmm. that really good advice. What makes sense? If I want to reach for something, then I have to live with it, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I could see making that case to an owner and say, look, here's what we're doing. We're doing our, everything up front, and God forbid something happens down the line, you know, we may come back and knock on the door. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And then, again, for you, you know, as well from that specification process, you know, and, and w- y- delays are inevitable. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's the it's the case now. You build them in, expect the unexpected, as Mark said. Um how were you working with GCs and, and, you know, kind of getting their bids together and seeing what they were doing with different specifications and, and simply, you know, looking at this and saying, there's no way, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. there, there's no way this is going to happen. You know, please do this. This is what we're seeing. And, you know, that's over the course of the pandemic, something you got really good at. Yeah. And, and uh, it just became honing of certain techniques that we've they've been around for a while um, and the most important one is we used to call it a procurement log. Some people still do, but we've refined it to be more of a, we call it an ROJ log, required on the job log. And what that does, it takes every finish that you have to purchase, every piece of furniture that you're buying, and you put it into a log that identifies from in a construction schedule when that item is required on the job in order to make your schedule. And it no longer just includes the product and the lead time. It includes where is that product being manufactured? When is the submittal due that allows you to order or uh, allows you to order the product? Where is that being manufactured? How is it being shipped to the site? Where is it being shipped to? If it's being shipped somewhere other than the site, how is it getting from that location to the job? And if we add all those pieces together and we're not hitting the date that the, that the contractor says it needs to be on the job, then we have to look at that item and decide whether that's that's the that's the right item to purchase and can we shift other things as part of that schedule look it's it's happened forever right we never start a job uh, with a schedule that we finish with doesn't happen Very right true. you know that yeah. you guys all know that right <laughs> you say you're going to have a lease signed by february 29th right it's a leap year yeah 4 years from now maybe it gives you <laughs> enough time but realistically that's not what's that's not the way it's going to work and we know we're changing it every single week the deal is, are we changing it to the, to the benefit of the client or are we changing it because we have bad news for the client where we're pushing everything out? And of course, you know this, the biggest issue when we miss dates are holdover costs, right? So you could have a lease that's expiring and you have everything timed perfectly. They can't move. They got to stay in their space. They could be spending one and a half times their monthly rent one time. It doesn't matter whether it's half of their monthly rent. Oftentimes, that's, that's a, there's a huge price to pay for that. 
So again, but I will caution you that all of these, pro- all of this process, everything we do now to mitigate the potential issues that arise come at a cost, mm-hmm. right? So we haven't yet found a way to get a lot of the consultants and the contractors in line that even if you're engaged but not working, there's no real fee because realistically, all of the consultants on the job get paid based on how long they're on the job. So if a general contractor says he's on the job 24 weeks, the job becomes 30 weeks, it's not just an extra six weeks. It's six weeks of general conditions, fees, insurance. That can be a fairly substantial amount of money. So we've, succeeded, so we've, we've mitigated by telling everybody up front that it's a 30-week project, not a 24-week project. In essence, the client's going to pay some more money. And we still have to work through that process of how we keep the contractors and the consultants in line in order to, if you will, lump sum their fees versus based on the, certain, on the weeks of the project. And we're still going through that process. But right now, many of us are focused on schedule. So schedule will sometimes trump cost. So that's Is there one acceptance way. of this new way with the, with the stakeholders that you're dealing with? Um, there is acceptance if they have a tight deadline on the back end of the project. And if they're up against, um, and sometimes it's not a lease expiration. Sometimes it's just for financial reasons, they have to spend the money by a certain point in time. So we get acceptance because people understand the, all the things that are happening now in, in the industry that it, there is this uncertainty. So if we can buy certainty with a little bit of money, sometimes our clients are very willing to accept that. So right. they're paying us a little bit more for the fact that we can create some certainty in an uncertain market. Right, certainly. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of part of the process. And, you know, when you're looking at that risk mitigation or you're looking at that, that balance sheet, you know, by spending a little bit more money on the front end, they could be saving a little bit on the back end or, or something like that. You know, there's, there's all different ways to look at that. Right. Um, and then Mark too, and I want to get back to the lump sum cost and or the lump sum budget and, you know, how that is still uh, the, you know, the budget we're working with, but it, it, it could change the schedule a little bit. I think that's really smart. I want to come back. But Mark, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, when we're talking about that schedule you know, you're working with these manufacturers and you've had, you've been in this business 30, 40 years, you know, you've had these relationships for a long time. Seeing and working during the pandemic, how soon are they coming to you, you know, and telling you that, okay, we told you a six week lead time or an eight week lead time, but you know what, it's going to be another four weeks. Um, Not soon enough. Yeah, exactly. So it's unfortunate, but it's, it's the wild, wild west. It's getting a little bit more predictable over the last four to six weeks, I'd say, but you know, the last six months prior, it was, it was really bad. Um, <clears throat> we we are doing proactive things to call the manufacturers much more often and check in with them on a regular basis. I actually just hired someone just to do that. Wow. I mean, we have a, a regular process in place of people calling and verifying, but I have one person that calls every week, every manufacturer for every purchase order, and they, we do do the best we can to be on top of it. Um, we're not always getting the right answer. We're not always getting the truth. Right. And that kills me. You know, mm-hmm. it's a matter of, <clears throat> I like to tell the truth. You know, like I was telling Fred this the other day that uh, I'm sure there's vendors out there, I've seen it, where some of my competitors or even in other trades are just giving the answers that people want to hear, right. but they're not the truth. I used to do it to my mother all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Your mother. <laughs> I still do. Yeah. Still do but, you know, it gets you in a bad spot. So, um, you know, we lost a deal maybe three months ago, we knew the manufacturer's lead time was 18 weeks, and we said 19 to 20. Um, a competitor said 15. We said it's impossible to the client. They said, well, 
That's what they told us. We're going with it. Now, they're going to deal with it down the road right. in some way. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I don't do it that way. Right. But it is frustrating on our, our end, getting this bad news and people not telling the truth. Maybe they're not telling the truth because they don't know the truth. I'm, I'm sure that is uh, the fact on a lot of these manufacturers. They're dealing with a lot of moving parts. Certainly. You know, it was, it was um, well, materials. Things have shifted a little bit, you know, but materials were, were big. Shipping, still still a big issue. COVID. Mm-hmm. And now, more than ever, labor. Right. So, um, I'm at all four coming together. So, it's like plugging holes. That's basically what my manufacturers are saying to me. And they all have good intent. I know that. Uh, but we get, to answer your direct question, we're still sometimes getting disappointing news a week or two before it was supposed to be here. Right. Imagine the stress that it creates for the project, for the client, for us, that we were told that we're going to be moving in, um, say, April 1st yep. and everything's shipping March 1st. And on February 25th, I get a uh-oh call yep. that it's going to be three weeks, four weeks later with really not the best explanation. Mm-hmm. Why? What mm-hmm. do I tell my client? Yep. Uh, well, we're just late. It didn't come. The, this, that. It's not one thing. Yep. It's not one thing. A few weeks ago, Omnicrom hit a certain area and they had labor shortages. Another time, they didn't get things from China. It's just so much going on. So, um, to answer your question, it's been it's been tough. Um, it's getting a little bit more predictable. The other thing, going back to something you said before, is that there in my business that we have many manufacturers we represent. Right. And there are some that have been a little bit more predictable than others. Right. It's my job to try to inform our clients and stakeholders who we feel are more on top of um, this supply chain issue, who has more control, who's a little bit more predictable, and for our money where we'd go. Um, So we're trying to do that a lot. A lot of people are open to it, but on certain jobs, people want what they want, and uh, they're not willing to necessarily budge. And at that point, you know, the schedule is a schedule and we have to be more on top of that. So we try as consultants to recommend alternates and stuff for lead times, but it doesn't always um, come to bear. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I just want to stress too, that that is something a lot of times, most of the time, really um, completely out of your, your control. And, you know, I deal with it in my business too. And obviously, you know, you have to be the one to go back to the Fred and the client and, 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 you know, tell them this is what we're dealing with. But I think you'd agree you know, we're solutions people. So what type of solutions, you know, are you coming up with? And and, and Fred, again, in your position, you know, how are you when you get those calls working within that lump sum sum budget to make it work? You know, I mean, um, are we getting, whether it's new fixtures? And again, this this also brings me back to the um, specification process. You know, it's one thing to specificate, excuse me, specificate furniture. Um, and another would be, though, like, you know, millworking and like, you know, custom pieces such as this, you know, and stuff like that. How have you kind of worked around that within the budget uh, to, to, to make it work for the client and, you know, still meet everybody's expectations? Yeah, we used to do that a lot. We used to have a discussion with guys like Mark and say, OK, here's millwork. Here's furniture. What's the best lead time? What's the best solution? Sometimes it's cost. Sometimes it's lead time. Early part of the pandemic, we knew that millwork was a better deal than than the furniture was because we were seeing huge delays in furniture. 
over time in New York City, especially as the millworking trade, the, that trade um, was highly susceptible to COVID. There was a lot of closures of millwork uh, um, uh, fabrication uh, places where they just didn't have the manpower. And they also had a lot of people who chose not to actually come to work. There were, uh, you know, uh, second, third generation uh, woodworkers, carpenters who decided that it was too risky for them to come. And the problem we started to see is that the production was slow, but even more so than that, the installation was slow. Installation teams didn't want to come to site. The production guys in the factory would show up. They'd start producing things at a slower rate. There was no one to install it. There was getting backup. We saw that on PLAM cabinets for kitchens and for, you know, pantries. We saw all of these things starting to starting to come together as a, as a mass and say, well, we have a problem it's no longer just we can't get PLAM, we can't get the wood, we can't get the, 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 the chips for the appliances. We now had to blend all of that into an overall project schedule. And the solutions were different in every job because we had, you know, we'd work with Mark on one and he'd get temporary furniture in place. We had uh, manufacturers that were taking furniture out of their showrooms to temporarily put in someone's right. office so they could open and start, you know, and, and, and show their office was ready to occupy. But those are little things. Those weren't real. Those were those were band aids. Those weren't solving the problem. And the problem really comes from this idea of saying it, setting it up front for everybody to realize clients, especially, right? Working with the brokers, like I'm constantly harping on Paul and his colleagues about why do you guys wait so long to get us involved? Like why do you think you can go through this process and then at the end hand it to us? And sometimes we're the bearer of bad news. We're the guys that say, oh, you know, I know Paul just told you you'd be in by July. Uh, you're really looking at October, right? And that makes the client upset. It could potentially make Paul look bad. It makes us all look bad. So why do we want to put ourselves in that position? And that's what we do now across the board. We just, it's about engaging, finding the people working. Look, we keep track of the contractors, subcontractors. We know what subcontractors are working on in the city. We know who's busy. When we give them this required on the job log to, at the bid time and we say to the, to the mill worker or the, the floor uh, the installer that your product has to be here and installed by this date, they have to buy the job on that date. And if they have to, and we don't know necessarily whether they're committing premium time to that schedule or they're doing on straight time, but at least we have the number and we've given them a date and that date has to be met under the terms of the contract. Now, one would say, what happens if they don't meet it? okay, they don't meet it, but there is some repercussion and there is some cost available, uh, you know, some liquidated damages for, you know, if we had to go that direction, but we're now managing subcontractors. We would let the contractors choose their subs. We now have a direct hand in what subcontractors they're picking because we know the ones that have not delivered on other jobs. We can look at furniture manufacturers now and say, Mark, stay away from this company because we've had nothing but problem. We go, yeah, I know. And then we talk to the architect. We tell the architect, stay away from this manufacturer. So we can then start to manage it, you know, uh, proactively rather than try and bring that bad news to the client at the end of the day. Right. And that kind of brings up, you know, you brought it up about getting, everybody wants to get in the room earlier, which we, we completely yeah. understand. And we are doing a very good job of. We need but, Paul to get the tenant to do that. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, that's actually what I was going to yeah. ask, you know, JLL and all of their resources, you know, mm -hmm. Paul, when you're in every, every client is unique. We all know that too. 
But when you're working with these specific clients, you know, and you see the space that they're looking for and, you know, if it's there needs a, a lot of work to be done or, or you know, they're going to be doing a lot of work. Are you saying, OK, if you're thinking about this, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a good idea to sit down with our project management team. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily before that deal is signed or maybe it is, you know, maybe it's during the negotiation process or maybe it's sitting down with the landlord. You know, is there that type of opportunity to do that? And do you think, I mean, that would be, you know, a little taboo before the pandemic, but now, again, using JLL to your advantage, is that something you think, you know, you can do and and have you done it to that effect? I mean, for most of my career, I'd like to have all the experts lined up up front. Right. Uh, I mean, a client shouldn't take construction advice from me. (laughs) Or furniture advice, although furniture I never thought was an issue until recently. And actually, one of our one of my hedge fund clients was the first inkling of this problem. Uh, we did an office for them in London, and while we were doing the search, they ordered all of their trading equipment, all of the all the uh, the tech gear because you know the chip shortage and everything right. else. They didn't know about furniture yet, neither did I. But you know, it, it, it's all somewhat related. But, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, uh, uh, securing one's career, you want to basically have as few surprises as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always tried to work with project management up front um, to get them involved because, you know what, you can go to a cocktail party and two people can run into each other who just did office leases and they, they'll say, you know, this is what I paid for rent. What'd you pay? You know? They won't say loss factor. They won't say how much free rent they got or how much work. Um, but no one ever talks about construction because it's so hard to really understand if you're not in it. Um, and it's the one thing I think that for a lot of users, construction can go off the rails and the people in the company are forgiven, you know, because it, it's 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 not a science. So. Yeah. Well, uh, we're you know, trying to create more of a No, no, right, exactly. I realize that. So yeah. it's, it's always been unpredictable. It's always been, you know, a, an area of, of concern for me, for my clients. And, you know, I just think um, being hands-on uh, is a good thing. And, frankly, I learn by yep. working with people like this. They make me more effective up front. So. Can I ask you a question? Um, since the pandemic and the supply chain issues, are you approaching – certain size deals with landlords differently. Um, I've heard from some of your associates that under certain square footage, they're actually wanting the landlord to build it and own the schedule. And this way there's more predictability to that. And, you know, the free rent and all that um, comes into play and that they have to hit a certain target date. And if they don't, then your tenant's more protected. Yeah, no, there's a lot of turnkey that's been going on. It, it, it started even before the pandemic, yeah, you know, especially on the smaller side. I mean, if you think back into the day years ago, that used to be the standard. And then, you know, landlords were cutting corners and stuff. So tenants took back control by asking for work allowances. Sure. And then they self-managed. And, you know, if you just look at the way the business is going, it's becoming you know, a little bit more hospitality-like, a little bit more, hey, you're the landlord, this is your business, real estate, you should be doing the construction, and so on and so forth. And we're seeing that, you know, in the amenitized buildings and everything else like that. So I think, especially for the smaller ones, uh, and smaller, you know, I I did a a 60,000-footer 
that was a turnkey. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But but it was a heavily my my client was very knowledgeable about construction and comfortable sure. with it, yeah. and had their longtime contractor at the table. Oh wow! While the landlord and it was, was it was a bear negotiating the lease language to make it work, but well, we yeah. got it. We did a, a two hundred thousand square foot turnkey. Yeah. Wow! During so the I, pandemic. I, yeah, I, I I don't think size you know unless you get into the really big things is going to be as much of a factor as you know, what owners have to do to secure the tenant. Yeah. Um, it's a competitive market like that. And, you know, you know, we're talking about building the space out and, like, getting that process done. But then the clients as a whole and these companies as a whole got to get the employees into the office, which is a which is a completely different uh, conversation and an entirely different episode. <laughs> but while we're on the topic, Mark, yeah. um, you know, you are in the design you know, process and, and, and part of that, you know, uh, portion of the job. You know, have you been seeing anything um, created by clients or has, have you been suggesting anything created by clients to kind of help, um, you know, uh, re- retention or, yeah. you know, safety, uh, whatever the, the many trials that we've been yeah. dealing with? So there was a period the there was a period during COVID where safety was a big concern. No one knew exactly what this virus was. So there was a mad dash to put screens and plexi up and every, a lot of people did it we made a lot of money putting those up yeah, and so taking them down yeah, right. <laughs> that, that was short storing them yeah, exactly that, exactly yeah, that was short-lived uh maybe six months uh might be a few people asking once in a while now but from a safety standpoint i think that we know more about the virus now um I, amazingly i have not seen a tremendous change in design post-covid to prior covid there are some things, and I'll clarify, but, you know, prior to COVID, we were going to much more open, collaborative spaces, more residential-looking, more breakout areas, these phone booths and stuff. This trend started. It's just accelerated it now where people are doing that. I, I would say that, even in my own firm, um, to get people back, our clients are thinking about the space a little differently. They want to make it unique. They want to put more amenities in. They are thinking about this. What's going to bring a an employee back to the office to want to come back because, you know, there's that balance. Some people want them back, some people not. But to get them back, you, you should design a nice space. So I am seeing an emphasis on that. Um, as far as it changing drastically prior to COVID to post-COVID, not. Maybe a few more Zoom rooms and right. collaborative rooms. Uh, my firm, we went to a hybrid work environment over the last six months, so we'll have less dedicated desks. But, again, a lot of these trends I saw prior to COVID as well. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, any existing clients that you either of you may have had, did you see them, you know, take more space to kind of create more room um, or, you know, limit their their footprint uh, simply because, you know, they were going to more of a uh, hybrid situation? Well, I mean, I think hybrid is here to stay. Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, And I, I, you know, I, I think it's a much nicer environment in a slightly smaller footprint is what I'm seeing. I mean, look, I've been through enough of these cycles um, and successful companies don't shrink. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they may disperse over time, but if your business is going to stay in business, you're going to grow. Yeah. If you, if you stand still, then chances are you'll be left behind. So it's, I think it's hard to sometimes make these generalizations across the board. Right. Um, and uh, you know, I, I do think that um, look, we have a, high 
proportion of people here back in the office. And we benefited from the fact that when we came back, it was brand new space. Right, right. Um, which definitely made a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I, I do think over time, you know, you're going to see a return anecdotally. I mean, this week uh, I come into Grand Central. I've never seen it fuller. I and, took the subway this morning. Yeah, it was and, packed. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I think uh, New York City has a lot of ambitious people, you know, and if, if um, you're going to be ambitious about your career, you're probably hard to do that from home in a lot of businesses. You know, some doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, and if you decide you want to stay home, well, I'm sure there's somebody that will come take your cheese and be ambitious. Right. Know? So, uh, I'm very optimistic about about New York. Yeah, and and there's lots of businesses that grew exponentially during COVID. Right. Uh, some of the social media companies uh, went through the roof. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of growth. Now, you know, personally, I had some of the what I would consider to be the the, the media companies that I represent who decided to take a pause when the pandemic started. They either were thinking about moving or expanding or renovating or had to move. <clears throat> and we actually, they actually calculated some of those smaller clients actually decided, you know what, I'm going to let my lease expire. Everybody work from home. I'll roll the dice in a, in, in a year about what the, what the rents are and see if I come up better. Right. But a lot of my financial clients did take an approach. I had one client who halted right when the pandemic started a couple of months into it, guys like Paul, the brokers were actually, were able to create a deal they made it financially advantageous for them to step back into the market. And they took, although less space than they were initially anticipating taking, they took it and we built it out during the midst of COVID. This, the office was so well regarded that they had decided to take another floor and they're going to continue to grow. I had another client who we started at uh, 200,000 square feet. It went down to 80,000 square feet. And within, you know, five or six months, it was back up to 200,000 square feet. Uh, now, e interestingly enough, they're looking at another floor. We're finishing another floor for them, which will bring it up another 30,000 square feet. They only have 15% of their population in the office any wow. one day. But they understand that their their folks are going to come back. They're clamoring to come back, and they wanted to create you know this kind of new and improved space. Now, I'm not that industry isn't seen as much of the collaboration space as, as Mark, and we may see in some of the other areas, but... They're more a little bit more traditionally based, and for one reason is that they like now the private office. They like the idea that no one else is in my space, right? So even from a pandemic perspective, we have seen a return in some of the financial institutions to a little bit less collaborative space and more private space, heads down workspace, and then cafes and a couple of other rooms that give that bring people together. But we're not building space now that it's public assembly, over 75 people, because people are still deeming that to be a little bit a little bit questionable and may consider that questionable going forward. So, again, all of those things le lend to the, the schedule and the budget of how these things come about. So it's, it is a refinement, but it's definitely taken into consideration. Everybody's role has been kind of reevaluated in the process, right? Yeah, most certainly. And that's what I'm going to uh, kind of leave it on, you know, is – Certainly, we've discussed it today, and, and, you know, we've all seen significant change to how we do our jobs, you know, through the pandemic. Um, what do you think is your biggest takeaway? And, and, you know, Paul, we'll start with you and can go down the line. What do you think is the biggest takeaway and the one thing you're going to take with you? And again, you, you actually made me think about it because of you said you've been through the peaks and valleys. 
and through all these peaks and valleys, I think you take something with you every time. What do you think you're going to take with you getting out of this? And let's please pray, pray we're getting out of this, um, that you're going to take with you the rest of your career. Mm. Good question. Um, I think that, uh, that people are going to be more considerate in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be more conscious of hygiene. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's going to make for a much better environment, uh, going forward. I, I think those things, uh, I just notice, you know, you go to your, you know, your deli or your coffee place and, and, and people are a lot more welcoming yeah. on both sides of the counter. And I think that that's, you know, some consideration has come out of this, maybe if there's a silver lining. Right. Yeah, very nice. Right, what about you? Well, I had an answer, but now I feel yeah. bad about no. my answer considering <laughs> Paul's nice, you know, hugging out. I love it. I'm like, I'm the broker. I'm the broker. I can't say that now. <laughs> that's who he is. <laughs> ah, now I got to say something really nice. Yeah, we all come together better. No, I was actually... My thing was just going to be that we have to be more transparent with our clients and more transparent as an industry and in how things get, do get done and how we can work together. And yes, I agree. Like we lived through 9-11. I was here in the city for 9-11 and the city had a much different feel for a year, a year, year and a half after 9-11. And it slowly kind of returned to New York, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, I think, as Paul pointed out, and I think he's right, I think the pandemic has probably changed the way people interact uh, uh, in a business environment uh, forever. I think it's not going to change. I think it's, this, is the new, this is the new norm, if you will. Yeah, certainly. Certainly, I agree. Mark, what about you? What do you think you know, is the yeah, most I, hopeful change? Yeah, you, you got know, to go last. I, this, I, last. I know. I agree with my friends over here. But uh, <laughs> comes to mind a, that obviously change is inevitable. Right? We always knew that, but wow, this smacked us in the face. And something like this or something different, you know, you have to be open that something like this can happen. Just be ready for change. And I think a lot of people, a lot of businesses did pivot well in, in this era and learn from that. I know we did. And the other thing that came out of this that I think is a good thing for, our, for everyone is flexibility. Um, I know that as a leader, I had to be flexible. And um, I have managers that might have been in a different mode, we all maybe all a little old-fashioned, command and control in the way that we managed before. Um, and we were making some changes even before, before COVID, but this accelerated that. So the flexibility to give employees the work-life balance, uh, trusting people that they're going to you know, get their work done, they're going to be responsible to each other, to our clients and stakeholders, um, has really been eye-opening for me and my management team. And it's here to stay for us. There's no doubt. Yeah, nice. Well, gentlemen, thank you, thank you all uh, very much for doing this. this. Like I said before, this was a, a first for me, so I appreciate you. You know, trusting trusting us to to do this. You know, right for you, and I think it was really great. I appreciate you all coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jack. Thank you guys. Thank Thanks you, Jack. so much, Jack. This is great. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. Bye bye.